0: A little over a year ago, the United States Department of Homeland Security created an advisory board to offer it guidance on how to counter disinformation threats to national security. It was called the Disinformation Governance Board. And from the moment the board was made public, Fox News and members of Congress who make regular appearances on Fox absolutely hated it. THIS YEAR THE BIDEN ADMINISTRATION planned TO LAUNCH
1: A DISINFORMATION BOARD. <laughs> NOW WE'RE LEARNING A LOT MORE ABOUT WHAT THEY PLAN TO DO AND IN FACT HAVE DONE TO CENSOR THE SPEECH OF AMERICAN CITIZENS is something that sounds surreal. We can't believe that it would have come to this. It's effectively a a ministry of truth. It's, It's dystopian in its design. They've been pressuring private companies and really colluding with them to censor domestic speech, to censor American citizens' political speech on everything from COVID to mask mandates, to CRT, to the war in Ukraine, all of it. Nina Jankowicz was one of the biggest perpetrators and purveyors of disinformation in the entire country.
0: Nina Jankowicz. She's one of the nation's leading experts on how disinformation corrodes democracies. She's advised the Ukrainian government, managed democracy assistance programs at the National Democratic Institute, and is author of How to Lose the Information War, Russia, Fake News, and the Future of Conflict. As such... DHS looked to her to lead its new disinformation advisory board. And that made Nina Jankowitz Fox News' direct target. Again, and again, and again. This chick is so absurd. Our government's campaign against disinformation is being led by someone
1: who seems to be a cross between Madame Mao and Bette Midler. It really feels so unhinged to me. I'm troubled they couldn't find someone else for the job. She doesn't look like a serious person.
0: communistic, expialidocious, totalitarianism.
1: A lunatic. That somehow the Biden administration plucked out of somewhere that is just sort of absurd. Jankowski or whatever her name was, she was going to Yeah, Mary Poppins, exactly. She was going to come in and be like the czar of misinformation. Okay. She looks like she's auditioning for a reality show called America's Got Issues.
0: <laughs>
1: what a fart party. These TikTok videos are embarrassing to say the least. It's barf worthy. She's supposed to head a government agency. I'm embarrassed
0: for her. The constant personal attacks by Fox News oozed into social media. And then the attacks on her family started. Doxing. Death threats. Just three weeks after her appointment, the Biden administration put a pause on the DHS's disinformation board. The toxicity was too much. Jankowitz resigned. Fox News gloated.
1: You know the disinformation czar? She got booted this week. Well, now she's running around town complaining. She says that she's been killed by disinformation and that she's now under all sorts of threats. Do you you feel sorry for the disinformation, Zares? I confess I don't.
2: She was the chief of spreading disinformation and misinformation, outright lies, and now she's the victim? She can dish it, but she can't take it? She got a couple mean tweets.
0: This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Nina Jankowitz represents a unique case study in how disinformation spreads like political poison. She's not only the disinformation expert who got attacked by a disinformation campaign. Her story shows clearly how those campaigns can directly impact policies and how a government operates. But could Nina Jankowitz also be an example of how to tame the disinfo-beast— because like Dominion Voting Systems, the company which brought a massive defamation lawsuit against Fox News, Nina Jankowitz is also now suing Fox. And she joins us today. Nina, welcome back to the show.
2: Hi, Magna. Great to be with you.
0: So there was something buried in the tape that we played of all those uh, Fox News attacks on you, which I'd like you to explain. The Mary Poppins reference. What was that all about? <laughs>
2: Well, Megna, I, uh, in, in a past life used to do a lot of musical theater and long before I I was appointed to the, uh, the Biden administration to lead the disinformation governance board, I tried to reach out to younger people, to different audiences on all sorts of social media platforms, including TikTok. And I made a parody video of supercalifragilisticexpialidocious about information laundering, which is when disinformation's origins are obscured. Um, either, you know, through the mainstream media or sometimes a foreign government will plant stories within influencers or things like that. So I was trying to explain this during COVID. I made a silly video, one that was, you know, intentionally self-deprecating. Um, I've written parody songs like this all my life. And the, the video did moderately well. It <clears throat> it had, I think, a couple of thousand views on TikTok. It, it did a little bit better on Twitter. But the right wing went absolutely ballistic about this video. The idea that somebody like, me could have uh, a sense of humor or, uh, you know, hobbies to engage in just made them, uh, you know, just lose their minds, apparently. Um, And I just want to state for the record that I'm still proud of that video. I wouldn't have taken that video back. And I don't think having hobbies or a sense of humor or being earnest about something is is disqualifying for any sort of job. And by the way, everything in that video, uh, you know, even though it was rhyming and silly, uh, was factual. It was about how information law works in today's information ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want, you can go watch it. But uh, Fox News played it hundreds of times in order to try to embarrass me out of my job.
0: Right. And so, in fact, I mean, you say that uh, during the period of this this onslaught, that you'd been featured in more than 250 broadcast segments on Fox and hosts and guest, guests repeated uh, Uh, false, false information about you more than 400 times. Uh, So, I mean, but at what point when all this began and it began right after the Biden administration made public about the DHS disinformation board, at what point did you realize that this wasn't just like a 24 hour news cycle thing, that it was a major campaign against you?
2: Yeah, well, there were a couple of, you know, different waves of it. I I, I initially thought, you know, perhaps this will die down over the weekend. Um, We had announced the board on a Wednesday and thought that perhaps by Monday things would, would die down, but Fox just kept harping on me. And I think, um, you know, it shows how beneficial a strategy like this is for their bottom line, Um, picking a main character, a villain, if you will, and just reminding the audience of them again and again, um, contriving these narratives that I had committed treason, uh, because it gets their viewers enraged, which keeps them engaged, right? Um, And uh, I think it's a it's a tactic to distract from real issues in our society, and frankly, it's a tactic that uh, harms our national security as mm-hmm. well. The fact that this board doesn't exist is a detriment to our national security and to the the safety and security of of the homeland, which was DHS's portfolio. You know, um, the lack of coordination in the Department of Homeland Security, which is a large government body that was already working on disinformation. The point of this board was to to bring all those forces together to make sure they were co. Coordinated to make sure that we were, uh, you know, uh, appropriately spending taxpayer dollars and to protect privacy, civil rights and civil ri- yeah. liberties. So it was a bit of an own go- goal by by Fox News uh, in undermining
0: it. Well, we want to talk more about uh, exactly what the, the board was intended to do a little later in the program, Nina. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned that... Uh, Fox News basically used you um, as the villain uh, on this campaign of theirs, Uh, you know, and they created this caricature of you. And I want to play an example of what that sounded like. This is Laura Ingram, um, and she's talking here about, again, your love of music, also where you went to college uh, and places where you've worked. Part angry feminist, part frustrated karaoke singer, Jankowicz is the last person who should be trusted with distinguishing between fact and fiction. She's a graduate of Bryn Mawr College, kind of a caricature of the modern left university. She worked at the liberal Wilson Center, a think tank, globalist, of course. And as an expert in Eurasian affairs, you would think that Ms. Jankowitz would have authored articles maybe on the importance of preserving free expression in repressive regimes, right? Well, not quite. But she did publish this gem, Malign Creativity, How Gender, Sex and Lies Are Weaponized Against Women Online. Oh, can't wait to read that. Nina, why do you think that you became the primary target here rather than um, the disinformation board itself? I mean, Fox uh Hosts and contributors also talked about the board, but not with the the vitriol. I would say that they talked about you.
2: Well, Magna, I think it's easier to be angrier at a person than it is to be angry at a an inanimate board about which you have no information, right? So they were filling the vacuum. With uh, with stories that were completely made up about me, and at the time, I should also mention, you know, not only have I I lived this authentic life online, I've I've basically grown up on the internet. I am you know a proud millennial. Um, I was I was a week away, a couple of weeks away from from giving birth at the time, mm-hmm. so I was this very um, very pregnant, very female, very uh, authentic, easy to dunk on face of the board and again i think that mobilized people in a way that just talking about this uh this concept of a disinformation governance board didn't yeah. um So, yeah, and I I should also add that almost everything that Laura Ingram said in in that uh, little segment that you played is false. Uh, The Wilson Center is not liberal. It is proudly nonpartisan. And while I was there, I advised, you know, Republicans and Democrats in Congress about disinformation. Uh, She she talked about uh, my paper, Malign Creativity, which looks at how uh, how gendered abuse is used against women, uh, both in uh, the domestic situation and, and foreign politics. Well, you know, I also did author a paper on free expression at the Wilson Center. It's called Freedom and Fakes, and she can find it on the Wilson Center website. So either her producers did a bad job or more likely, you know, I think uh, these folks are Clearly, leaving out facts that go against their narrative in order to again paint this picture of me as uh, as the villain of this fake story about censorship in the United States.
0: Mm. Well, we've just got a few seconds before our first break, Nina. I mean, this wasn't the first time you were trolled or abused online. But how is this? Uh, I mean, once the the social media uh, response followed the Fox News onslaught, how is that different from previous times you've been attacked?
2: Well, Magna, it's it's. Endured. Just this morning, right before we came on air, I was reporting another uh, attempt to dox me and my family online. Um, this is almost a year after I resigned, and that is in large part due to Fox's long term vitriolic
0: coverage of me. Hmm. Well, we're talking with Nina Jankowitz this hour about her personal experience being the target of a disinformation campaign that began on Fox News soon spread to social media, and as she says, irrevocably changed her life. Back in a moment. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarti. and today Nina Jankowitz joins us. She's currently vice president at the U.K.-based Center for Information Resilience. We're having her on because she's the former head of the Department of Homeland Security's Disinformation Governance Board, a very short-lived board that was both created and disbanded last year following a disinformation onslaught, a tsunami of attacks against Jankowitz and the board that originated on Fox News, then spread to social media and ultimately led to doxing and even death threats against Jankowitz. So today we're talking about how disinformation changes an individual's life and how it can have a profound in fact, uh, impact on policy and government itself. Now, Nina, you mentioned just before the break about how you were um, very pregnant at the time, <laughs> uh, expecting a child. And um, this stuff is coming at you, I imagine, 24-7, both on Fox all day long, all night long, on social media. Mm -hmm. Was there anywhere you could go online or in real life to escape the attacks?
2: Well, I guess I'll I'll just start by saying that without the support of my family, in particular my husband and, and my friends throughout this ordeal, it would have been... Much, much more difficult, and I'm lucky to be surrounded by people who understand online abuse. Perhaps because it's been something that I've studied for a number of years. But you know, the the online attacks um, are pretty incessant, and even as I mentioned before, continue to this day. And I I used the internet very, uh, very freely, very effusively, very authentically before all of this happened. And until recently, I didn't really fully grasp how much my online behavior has changed because of all of this. I recently uh, started using Blue Sky, which is a new Twitter alternative, and it's a very kind of fun vibe on there. But I find myself not replying to tweets or, as they call them on their skeets, <laughs> not, um, not you know, sharing other people's content because I, I've become really wary of of spreading the abuse that I'm subject to. So on Twitter, for instance, basically since last year, if I share another woman's research or an article from someone that I find interesting, they are almost certainly subject to abuse. If I reply to somebody's thread uh, talking about a new baby they had, people have gone after them. I mean, it's just—it's not even just about colleagues. Anything that I share is almost certainly going to be attacked. And so, no, online, I, I don't really have a place anymore where I I can feel it freely express myself, and I think that's what's really important to understand about online abuse. You know, a lot of people who believe that online abuse um, doesn't have a real impact on people's lives, it changes how we express ourselves, and everybody has that same right to free expression. And so when I see free speech absolutist policies on social media platforms, uh, it really worries me, and I, I've said this for years, um, because when we allow abuse, Ultimately, someone is being silenced. and mm-hmm. I've refused to let that happen. but still, you know, it changes how I express myself. and and that's uh, that's really unfortunate for women, for marginalized communities. yeah, um and and beyond that, you know, uh, it has an offline effect as well. Um, as you mentioned, my family was subject to hundreds of threats just this morning, as I said before, uh, another doxing threat came in. Um, it changes how you walk around in the world. You know, I uh, in the weeks that this was the hottest, before I resigned from DHS, I was, as you said, very pregnant. Uh, I, I had to walk around with a hat, sunglasses, and a mask on because I was on Fox News every hour on the hour and just basically a sitting duck. And I was afraid of you know, going to my prenatal appointments that were weekly at that point, um, that somebody would would recognize me and, and berate me or worse.
0: Were you That's afraid? Something... Were you afraid for your life?
2: Yeah. I mean, I I had asked DHS for protection um, because I was going back and forth to the office. I had hired a private security consultant who uh, advised me to not go to coffee shops, not get gas alone, and even advised my husband and I to leave our house just weeks before I was due to give birth because uh, our address had been released online and there were credible threats of people, you know, putting my face on improvised munitions handbooks and saying, like, this is our hill to die on. This is our 1776 moment. I mean, how can you not be afraid in the climate that our country is in right now, where we've seen armed protesters become violent at, at you know, the insurrection on January 6th and, and many other examples? It's it's hard not to be scared, especially when you're, um, you know, carrying a life and and about to bring a new baby into the world.
0: Do why are you still um, courageous enough to speak out now? Because I don't think you don't you're not describing the risks as having completely abated.
2: Yeah, they haven't. Um, when I have done all of this work, uh, even before DHS, when I when I've been researching online abuse, when I've spoken to young women in focus groups I've done for my research about the ways that they self-censor and, and you know, their worries about having an online existence And what it means for their future, I just think about, you know, if I were to stay silent right now, if I were to stop talking about what has happened to me and stop talking about the very legitimate work that I've done for years before any of this happened to me, it would be letting the bad guys win. It would be saying, okay, you win. This sort of abuse campaign works, and I'm just going to stay at home and be quiet, and I'm not going to put my work out there. I'm not going to put myself out there. And that breaks my heart. I don't. I don't want to send a message to young women, and frankly, all women around the world, uh, and in the in the United States, to say that this sort of thing is effective. It's not effective. It has made me very tired. Uh, but you know, unfortunately, for the folks who have attacked me, they've picked a very resilient person, and I'm going to continue to stand up for the truth and to stand up against this sort of behavior, which I don't think belongs anywhere, but especially in the United mm. States of America.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the specific uh, claims that Fox News, and again, I want to emphasize that it began on Fox and then moved to social media, right, the disinformation campaign, and then some of the assertions were picked up by members of Congress. We're going to talk about Mm -hmm. that in in a minute here. But um, let's listen to a little bit about how Fox described the DHS's uh, disinformation Governance Board. This is Charlie Kirk, conservative activist and founder of Turning Point USA. They uh, advocate for conservative causes on college campuses. And here's what he said about the board uh, and about you on Fox News
1: all Republicans on Capitol Hill, and quite frankly, Democrats, too, you know, old style liberals, the liberals that used to populate the Democrat Party should also be outraged about this and trying to get to to the bottom of it. You know, I think it's kind of interesting. There's sort of this uh, internal debate in Washington right now about whether or not this thing is the scariest thing that we've ever seen, or it's something totally ridiculous uh, headed by a uh, lunatic uh, that somehow the Biden administration plucked out of somewhere that is just sort of absurd.
0: So Nina, specifically and briefly, if you could, what was the disinformation board tasked to do?
2: Right. The Disinformation Governance Board, although it had a scary sounding name that I did not choose, was tasked with coordinating pre-existing DHS efforts to counter disinformation. It had no operational authority. It had no budget. It had no full time staff other than myself. It was basically just bringing together the various DHS agencies uh, to respond to disinformation dealing with things like uh, natural disasters, border security, and cybersecurity relating to. Integrity,
0: but the responses would be ostensibly what?
2: Basically, just putting good information out there. So, if somebody was trying to defraud Americans who were getting benefits after a natural disaster, we would uh, attempt to communicate in a way that uh, reached those Americans and and responded to the bad you know, the bad information, the false information. I think everybody should want more information out there. It had nothing to do with censorship. It had nothing to do with arbitrating the truth. Um, and certainly I wasn't going to be involved in any any effort like that. That is something that I have stood up again, against uh, throughout my career in places like Russia, Belarus and Ukraine. It's not something that I support. And I never would have taken a job that had anything to
0: do with yeah. censorship. Well, I mean, we have a an example of a- analyzing the government's response right here here with this case itself, right? Because mm. the Biden administration pushed back against Fox News's messaging. So, you know, the question is did the Biden administration do a good job in responding to the disinformation coming from Fox? Um so one thing that the administration did is they said, well, the disinformation governance board only had an advisory role. And that also brought an onslaught from Fox. Here's Shannon Bream, host of Fox's Outnumbered, asking Well, if the board has no enforcement power, why does it even exist?
2: What was the purpose of it? What functions was it going to perform? Because now we're told it was completely harmless and toothless. There was nothing to it. It was never going to do anything bad to anybody or make you know calls about what is true or false. So what was the point?
0: So, Nina, honestly, analyze the Biden administration's response here. Was their counter messaging effective? No, in short, it
2: wasn't. not only was the counter messaging not effective, but the way that the board was rolled out initially um, in kind of a short announcement in Political Playbook, which is a Washington email newsletter uh, that was, uh, you know, this paragraph was bereft of a lot of context. It absolutely should and could have been communicated more transparently and effectively. And the guidance that I had given internally was unfortunately not heeded, both with the announcement and then after the announcement. Um, It was clear, you know, the day that the board was announced that things were trending in uh, a damaging direction for both the board and for me. And I said, you know, let's get out in front of this. Let's make sure that we are talking to the media, that we are briefing members of Congress and their staff, um, that, you know, we are... Are getting messaging out on social media and it unfortunately you know the way that government works things work very slowly especially in an agency like DHS where there are a lot of other competing priorities and uh the government wasn't able to do that. They weren't able to get out in front of it quickly. It took them days to issue any sort of statement or get any sort of, uh, you know, talking head out there. And I was effectively embargoed from sticking up for myself and and from pushing back against the attacks on me, uh, my family, and and you know my my scholarship prior to joining the administration. And I think that was a critical error and shows ac- exactly what you uh, insinuated, Megna, that the the board does need better, or sorry, the the government does need better coordination. Um, and better expertise when it comes to countering disinformation in the Internet era.
0: Well, there's obviously just even the basic problem of it's, it's not built to manage information with the speed that the modern world works at, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if it takes yeah. days to even just get people together to start making decisions, it's already too late to counter disinformation that's spread around the world multiple times by then. Now, yeah. I want to move to to something else here again because there's this nexus we're dealing with. There's the disinformation, there's you as the expert on disinformation who was supposed to help the Department of Homeland Security figure out how to, to manage that. Then there's the disinformation coming from Fox News Um, that get spread first to social media, but then also to members of Congress. And at that point, it becomes, I think, something different. It's scary enough what you had to deal with given the online threats. But now there's also the power of, uh, you know, the legislative branch of the federal government of the United States, you know, focusing on you. And particularly, um, uh, you know, Jim Jordan, Josh Hawley, they zeroed in on some uh, documents, for example, that they got from DHS. The, there were talking points from a, uh, from a memo for a meeting that uh, was with Twitter executives or mm-hmm. the meeting was supposed to happen with Twitter executives. And um, it uh, proposed that Twitter become involved in analytic exchanges with DHS. Okay, So we'll talk about that in a second. But here is how. Senator uh, Josh Hawley of Missouri talked about it. He was on Tucker Carlson's show, um, and he accused the Biden administration of pushing tech companies to suppress free speech.
1: They've been pressuring private companies and really colluding with them to censor domestic speech, to censor American citizens' political speech on everything from COVID to mask mandates to CRT to the war in Ukraine, all of it, Biden has been trying to control through the government. It just tells you the next time there's some national panic and you're required to believe something, it's almost certainly a lie. Nina, talk about this.
2: Whew, there's a lot to unpack in that one. Um, so. I mean, okay. so the the memo um, that is being referenced was for a meeting that never happened. It was for a meeting that was never even scheduled. It was, uh, you know, a memo in case uh, there was ever to be this meeting. Um, And again, it never happened. So it's moot. Um, But the idea, you know, that the board would be censoring individual Americans is just completely ridiculous. Uh, As we've seen from hearings recently, um, not only does the Biden administration communicate with social media companies. The Trump administration communicated with social media companies about content that they saw online. And this isn't, you know, threatening social media companies and saying, you must take this down. It's saying, hey, we saw this piece of content that might violate your terms of service, right? Um, And saying, you you should perhaps be aware of this. But in our case, uh, all we would be doing or we're planning to do, and again, none of this ever happened, uh, was to say, here are some trends that we're seeing online. You know, here are the ways that uh, human smugglers are lying to individuals who are attempting to uh, illegally immigrate to the United States. Um, here's here's the information about that that you should be aware of. Um, and also, you know, we know from 2016 that Twitter, that Facebook had information about election interference before the government did. Um, this is just facilitating a flow of that information. It's not about censorship at all. And, uh, and frankly, you know, all the things that Senator Hawley was pointing to in those remarks aren't things things that DHS would have had purview over anyway, Mm. so uh, a lot of a tempest in a teapot there.
0: Well, uh, I will note that it is Congress's job to, um, you know, to keep the executive in check. It's one of the constitutional Absolutely. checks and balances. Um, but also, let me ask you, Is there? you're saying there's no credence at all that there, to their assertion that there was a potential threat to speech here. But part of what makes disinformation so difficult to stop is that these campaigns can gain velocity because people start sharing and retweeting. Mm-hmm. Because at least a kernel of the original piece of disinformation reflects their actions actual beliefs. And of course, mm-hmm. it's not illegal to believe things or even to write and share most things that that you believe. Mm-hmm. So, um isn't in order to fight that isn't there at least some risk to speech? You know, I have
2: always maintained that removing speech is not the answer to countering disinformation. Um all of my work has focused on the importance of equipping people with the tools they need to navigate today's information environment so that they can assess information on their own. Um, it has also focused on government coordination and transparent communication in the face of disinformation threats. So you will not find in my work anywhere where I advocate for moving the speech of individual removing the speech of individual citizens. It's just not something I'm in favor of. In fact, I deride it. I call it playing whack a troll. It's not something that I think that we should do. So uh, I don't think that the government should be involved in that. Um, And to the extent that the government does, again, uh, flag content for individual social media platforms to take a look at, again, the ones that are making those choices are the social media platforms uh, based on their terms of service that we all sign up to when we sign up to share baby pictures and cat pictures and look at funny memes. Um, There are rules governing those platforms. And if, if, you know, individual people don't like it, they can move to platforms that have uh, fewer rules on uh, on what you can share and what you cannot. Mm.
0: Well, when we come back, I want to get your expertise and apply it more specifically to exactly what Fox News did, because when the Biden administration paused the uh, disinformation governance board, Representative Jim Jordan actually thanked Sean Hannity on Fox for, quote, the work you've done in helping get rid of this governance board. So. We'll talk more about that when we come back. This is On Point.
2: Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one
1: of
0: the first people to have actually asked.
2: From WBUR and ZSP Media,
0: this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case.
2: No, it's a botched case.
0: And a search for the truth, once and for all.
2: Wow,
0: it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and
2: follow wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Be careful. You're digging... In a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and Nina Jankowicz is with us today. She's vice president at the UK-based Centre for Information Resilience. And by the way, this is not the first time Nina has joined us on the show. Uh, she first came on point uh, ahead of the 2020 election to talk with us about Russian disinformation and how all that unfolded in Ukraine. And then again in April of last year, just after the publication of her book, How to Be a Woman Online. And we've got links to both of those conversations. They were really, really interesting. Um, those links are at On Point Radio. And Nina is back with us today because she is the former head of the Department of Homeland Security's Disinformation Governance Board, the short-lived board that was both created and disbanded last year following a disinformation campaign that began on Fox News, moved to social media, uh, and then eventually turned into um, some investigations by members of Congress. And Nina, let me ask you, you were... Also uh subpoenaed, I believe, by by Representative Jim Jordan's weaponization of government committee, uh subpoenaed to testify, I believe, uh what was it in a closed hearing? Mm-hmm. First of all, what was that like and can you tell us anything about it?
2: Well, I, I am uh restricted from talking about the specifics of what we discussed, um, but I will say, you know, uh the basis on which I was subpoenaed, that is um, the allegation that the government was weaponized somehow in creating the Disinformation Governance Board and hiring me is completely false, as we've we've laid out already. And um, I have basically just repeated that to the members of Congress, uh, both in that hearing, and then um, externally publicly over the past year, um, the conversation was was cordial. It lasted five hours, and I informed uh, the members um, of, of all that I did during my whopping ten weeks in government, uh, and and spoke with them about what I've endured over the past year. And I hope that after that conversation um they they no longer buy in to the lies that they were spreading about me um you know since since April and May of last year mm.
0: now, um I want to note that we did contact uh Fox News for comment. uh mm. we called them, emailed them uh and sent sent text messages as well multiple times over the course of. Many days, in order to see if uh, Fox had any comment, they never responded. Uh, But we did make uh, uh, concerted attempts to reach out to Fox. Now, um, Nina, I want to just use your expertise a little bit to um, dissect the kind of messaging that came out of Fox when they began this onslaught uh, against you and what aspects of it really look to you like a familiar disinformation campaign. Uh, First of all... Um, they seemed rather consistent in their messaging, I mean, to the mm-hmm. point of using very similar language, language no matter which Fox News host was talking, right? I mean, they were, they'd use language like insane, lunatic, absurd, buffoonery, um, these, all these really um, belittling comments that sought to undermine, I suppose, your, your intelligence and, and reliability. I mean, for example, here's Fox host and commentator Dagan McDowell. This chick is so absurd that it almost seems like this is some sort of ruse or red herring to prevent us from talking about everything else that's horrible going on in this country. So that use of the word absurd, I mean, is that a familiar aspect of a disinformation campaign and why?
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, what we've seen across disinformation campaigns, not only domestically, but certainly used by our foreign adversaries, is an attempt to, uh, again, characterize serious efforts, ones that protect national security, um, as something that people should fear. And what should you fear? You should certainly fear insane people. Um, I would also say, you know, we heard in that clip there is a gendered aspect to all of this. They called me a chick. I think at least one host called me a bimbo. They sexualized me. Um, You know, the fact that I was a young woman uh, just seemed to be particularly ripe for their ridicule. Um, And again, this is something that I've studied myself. Uh, Russia, Iran, China all use this sort of misogyny in order to undermine women who are speaking out, who take a role in public life and who stand up for democracy. We can't have a democracy if we don't have, you know, equal representation. And so this sort of undermining of a woman uh, like me, who was active in national security and active in public life, who spoke her mind, um, is actually very deliberate as well. And then one final thing I'll say, Magna, um, that I found very interesting as somebody who studies Russia, is that when Russia picked up this story, because of course they did it—you it, know—it played on everything they love. Uh, it, you know, whataboutism in the U.S. government. Uh, you know, somebody who they would describe as a as a Russophobe. Uh, they basically lifted. Fox News's coverage entirely. They showed entire clips from Fox News programs on Russian state propaganda. They basically didn't even have to write a story. They just lifted the exact same talking points, the exact same voiceovers, and translated them into Russian and showed clips from Tucker Carlson, from Laura Ingram, uh, on on Russian state propaganda. So, you know, uh, in some ways, it really felt like. Fox was doing Russia's dirty work for it in mm. this campaign, um, and that's how much this uh, this campaign against me and the board came, you know, from Russia's disinformation playbook.
0: Mm. Well, by the way, um, for folks listening, I want you to know that um, we actually. Made sure to ask Nina in advance if it was okay to play these clips, right? Because it's it can't it can't be easy to hear. And, and you said it was okay, Nina, right? Um, yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, at this point, I'm a nerd to it. It's been a year. <laughs> yeah,
0: but I mean, I, and the reason why we felt it's necessary is because we just wanted people to know exactly what the language, the tenor, uh, the thrust of these attacks were. And it's hard to it's hard to paraphrase them, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, you know, you talked about Tucker Carlson and again, um, sort of how there was both gendered and then specific attacks on, on your expertise. And here's just another moment of that.
1: She's a 33-year-old, highly self-confident young woman called Nina Jankowitz. Jankowitz comes from a place called the Wilson Center. That's a nonprofit named for America's other mentally incapacitated warmonger bigot president. Ironically, because everything is irony, the Wilson Center is itself a major producer of, yes, disinformation, but of the neocon variety, and for that reason is heavily funded by the Biden administration. Jagowitz is also, because everything is connected, a former advisor to the neoliberal government of Ukraine, the government we're shipping tens of billions of tax dollars to as our own economy swirls down the drain. So you really can't make any of this up. It's too grotesque. Would you believe a novel with this plot? No, you wouldn't. But it's happening, and that's the bad news. The good news is, everyone involved in Joe Biden's new Ministry of Information is a buffoon. Nina Jankowicz is the most ridiculous of all.
0: Sorry, Nina, I'm just pausing there because um, it's it's beyond insulting. Um, I mean, apparently, it's a crime for you to be a self-confident young woman. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, the 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 thing is, is that. Um, it's bad enough that you had to endure all this. But then the ultimate uh, outcome of this disinformation campaign is that the Biden administration disbanded the Disinformation Governance Board from DHS. So, in choosing, and within weeks, by the way. Yeah. So, in choosing to do so, didn't the Biden administration just provide the perfect example that these campaigns work?
2: Absolutely. Um, It was extremely disappointing to me that the administration could not mount a fulsome response to these absolutely baseless lies about the board and about the person they hired to run the board. And what this has amounted to is that every time anybody in the conservative media ecosystem has something to say about alleged alleged conservative censorship on social media, they're able to point to the board and say, look, we won with this. And if we won with this, it must have been true. Therefore, let's push against these other, uh, these other research institutions, et cetera, that are working on disinformation. And maybe we can get them, you know, disbanded or defunded as well. And we've seen a concerted effort against researchers, against nonprofits, anybody working to, uh, to research disinformation and how to best counter it, they've been under attack as well, and personal attack. And I'll just add that this isn't, again, it's not just about uh, mean words online. One thing that Tucker said that I think inspired a lot of the threats that I got um, is that I had, quote unquote, men with guns who were going to come after people whose opinions I disagreed with? Again, completely baseless. But this is what inspired people to send the violent threats. Things like, "Nina Jankowicz is perpetuating lies and treason, and she will uh, pay the price." Um, "Hey Slot, quit your job before we destroy your life. Everything you've cared about will we'll, ever cared about will be taken from you." Um, I had a man uh, over the summer say that I should be tried for treason and hung until I'm dead. I mean, this sort of thing, this this narrative that I had committed treason against the American people, that was one of the the mm. damaging uh, narratives that Fox perpetuated even after I resigned. Uh, and, and again, they mentioned me in most weeks in 2022. And that's ultimately... Uh, why I decided to sue Fox. It's not just, you know, that they were saying mean things about me. They were outright lying about me, my role and things I had said and things that they alleged I was going to do. And all of this was was provably false.
0: Mm. Now, uh, I should say that... um, I believe in a robust defense of speech right and that that it's it, it that's a that's a challenging path to navigate in the in the mm-hmm. 21st century so I want to acknowledge the you know the nuances and subtleties around that but ultimately we've also talked about I mean you have come on the show several times in the past as I noted earlier to talk about how disinformation does constitute a major threat uh to democracy and um sort of even the the governance of a nation in in the 21st century so I mean did the the Biden administration, what did they tell you about their justification for uh, disbanding the board?
2: They gave me very little justification. Um, you know, the the board was put under review by the Homeland Security Advisory Commission, um, and I was— notified that this review would be taking place over the summer last year, and that's when I was going to be on maternity leave. I was given the option to stay in government as a policy advisor um, in DHS. Uh, And I just, I looked at the way the Biden administration had responded, or frankly, the, the lack of response. And I just felt that I could do better and more impactful work outside of government. And so I took the decision to leave, hoping that the attacks on me and my family would stop. And when they didn't stop, after months and months and months and months, again, eventually, this is the decision that I came to, that the best way for me, in my personal capacity, to defend American democracy was to attempt to, uh, you know, to help um, us get back to the truth in making Fox face justice for their attacks on individuals. You know, in the Dominion case, uh, what we saw was a company with, you know, uh, venture capital funding behind it going up against one of these enormous media corporations like Fox. Fox and other media entities defame individuals like me on a daily basis. I am far from the only person this has happened to. Uh, you know, you can talk about Ruby Freeman and Ray Epps, others who they've lied about. Um, and it is very, very difficult for an individual like me to bring a case like this. I did not take this decision lightly for exactly the reasons you said, Megna, because of uh, how highly I esteem free expression. But I also believe that campaigns like this do not have a place in American democracy, and you should not be able to lie about an individual uh, ad nauseum just because it is difficult to bring a case like this. So. Uh, that's the decision that I made. And again, if it had just been coverage of me, if it had just been coverage of the board, if it e- had even just been insults or them playing my TikTok over and over, whatever, you know, I, I've got a thick skin, as I think I hope is coming across in this interview. But when it comes to maliciously, repeatedly lying about things that are provably false, again, that there were Associated press fact checks on and uh, and documents source documents that proved the opposite Fox News also said as you've played in your clips that I was fired. I was not fired. Uh, and they can check that with the Department of Homeland Security. Um, these are the sorts of things that are extremely damaging to someone's reputation. They are damaging to the career that they they have built for themselves. And as I've, I've read out, you know, they have resulted in real threats to me and my family that persist today. Mm-hmm. And that has a much greater effect on democracy than uh, a defamation suit against a media company does.
0: Yeah. I have... Uh Two last questions for you before we wrap up, and we've just got a couple minutes to go, Nina. Um, I did want to give you a chance to respond to, uh, briefly, to some of the things that Fox said regarding tweets that you had put out in the past, because they said when you tweeted about uh, the Steele dossier or the alleged connections between Trump and Alpha Bank, or even you you tweeted that the Hunter Biden laptops were fake. Um, Fox News pointed to those things and said these are reasons not to believe Nina Jankowicz because what she's tweeting are lies.
2: All of those statements were uh, removed from their original context. So I never said the laptop was fake. Uh, I never pushed the Steele dossier. Uh, I think if people return to the actual tweets, they will find that I never, (laughs) never actually said those things, that they were removed from their context. And again, uh, I was not an arbiter of truth. I was not going to be making any decisions about uh, what was true or false online. Uh, if that were the case, perhaps my personal political opinions would have mattered. Um, but again, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have in that situation because I was under the Hatch Act, which you know means that uh, appointees in the Biden administration and any other uh, administration in the U.S. government aren't supposed to bring their personal political beliefs to work. And I took that very seriously. Um, So, again, return to the original statements. I think you'll find that uh, they they hold no water. And also, um, you know, they represent a very, very small uh, percentage of my extremely Mm -hmm. measured nonpartisan work on disinformation Mm -hmm. over the course of the better part of a decade.
0: Well, in the last few seconds that we have, Nina, what did you learn from your experience of all this about a nation's capacity to withstand or be resilient against a disinformation campaign like this that might begin in broadcast but then even ends up with congressional hearings.
2: You know, I'm pretty pessimistic, Meghna, about where we are as a nation encountering disinformation. And I'll just end by saying that disinformation is a democratic threat, not a partisan one. Just because it comes from one party today doesn't mean that it's not going to come from the other uh, tomorrow. And so we all need to stand up against these sort of lies, no matter what your political party is, no matter what, you know, uh, political inclination you have. This is a threat to democracy. And I hope we can get past this partisanship in the future. But right now it doesn't look so good.
0: Well, Nina Jankowitz, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm Meghna Chakrabarti. This is On Point.